Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's July 9th, 2013. It's Good Beer Month. I got Dave Broadman from Blind Tiger. Dave, we did it again. Mayor Bloomberg gave us a proclamation that said July is Good Beer Month in New York City. I remember in the uh, early days when we were standing out there, getting it, standing out in front of City Hall, getting that thing. It was awesome. It's fun. And we got some great, great guests on tonight. Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery. Hugh Sisson from uh, Heavy Seas in Maryland. And... Uh, Jeff and Heather from Pine Box Rock Shop. So we're going to talk about things July Good Beer Month and uh, going back to the old days of craft beer in uh, in America. Uh, so Dave, you're up in Vermont now. Yep, Worthy Kitchen, Worthy, Bur- Worthy Burger, right? And you're one of the early pioneers too of craft beer in New York, right? You? We started in '96, um, and uh, 17 years ago, I guess it was, um, though not as long ago as Garrett did. And actually, and I remember. Um, uh, when I was a bartender, uh, before we opened the Blind Tiger, and I was hearing about this young guy making great beer up at the Manhattan Brewing Company. Um, it's a nice when they call you a young guy. And, uh, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, and so I went up there, and, I, and the beers were just incredible. And, and, of course, it was Garrett brewing there. Well, it's great to have Garrett on. Anytime, anytime we get him on. Garrett, you're in so many countries and cities and traveling. And I saw you at Sa- Saver uh, in June. Uh, what's going on with you, man? You are just like the ultimate beer guy. <laughs> I think we got enough. We got enough ultimate beer guys in this room to uh, you know cover a century or something. Um, but uh, but yeah, things are pretty busy as they are for most people. Um, you know, we have a particularly busy summer because we're opening a brewery in Stockholm uh, at the end of this year. You know, so we've already you know, we're in the middle of building out. We you know, we already hired the brewing team. The brewery's being delivered in September. Um, and so that's, that, that's pretty exciting. Um, exciting. I'm going to Edinburgh tomorrow, uh, to, to give the keynote speech for the European beer bloggers, uh, conference. Um, and then got, uh, you know, a few events in Leeds, uh, looking at some stuff in Berlin and, uh, just a little bit of bouncing around there. But, um, you know, in the meantime, I have about 15 beers to develop between now and uh, the beginning of September, you know, both for Sweden and for here. So, uh, it's rock and roll. I'd like to take us back a little bit. So, uh, Mayor Bloomberg, it's for the fifth year in a row, he's, he's declared July is Good Beer Month in New York City. And we've been behind that. The Good Beer Seal Bar is Dave Broderick, Ray Dieter, a lot of other guys. But it really goes back to the, the early days with, um, you know, Things that you guys were doing at Book and Brewery back in the in the nineties, um, you had a great book that I that I still refer to, um, and I don't think well, I think it was pre-internet, so nobody can find it online. But it's the good. It beer was book. pre-internet, yeah. nineteen ninety-seven, and, and it was really great. But I, I want to ask you, Garrett, you, you can define what good beer is because we have terms like craft beer. They had the term microbrewery, which still resonates with a lot of people. Let's just reflect on that, and Hugh can join in too because you guys are real veterans of the industry and pioneers and. Just share what, 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 what does good beer mean to you guys? 
Well, I think, uh, you know, it's sort of like what they say about pornography. You know it when you see it. On the good side, you know, it's... Uh, uh, no, I, well, you know it when you taste it. I mean, I think it's uh, it's beer that's made for flavor, you know. And uh, we were talking about this today, and there are different. Obviously, people have different uh, uh, ideas about what craft beer is. I, you know, I have my own kind of internal definition, and I think that for me, craft beer is when somebody, at least a decent number of people, actually know who the brewer is. You know, I think that that provides the break, you know, between craft beer, you know, and mass market beer. So you take the big mass market brewers, you can go even to their top distributors and ask them who's brewmaster, and no one, no one ever will have any idea. I could, I could name, and I'm not going to do this to you, I could name you know, five top brands right now. I guarantee you that you do not know who the head brewer is. Well, I guarantee test it. Test us. <laughs> no, you, you, you don't want me to do that to you, uh, well, uh, Dave, you know, here, on, here, here on air. But I think that that's kind of the point. Dave I mean, probably knows. Though. People, yeah, no, Dave not. doesn't know either. I don't know either. No, no it's true. Nobody, almost nobody knows. Um, and that's because, you know, the answer to the question is money. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's really, you know, the difference. The m- money is brewmaster. Okay, now I'm going to quiz you. Okay. I'm going to say the name of some brewers who aren't the, on the marquee, and who, and who can say which brewery they're from. Okay, first, Jason Perkins. I know Jason. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I, that's easy. Al Gash. All right. Dave, p- pick a name of a brewer. Oh, gosh. Um, so you're uh, stumped. I'm stumped, yeah. yeah. So you're right. <laughs> I mean, I just know, I mean, if I said their name, it, they are the brewery, so you know, automatically know who they are. Right, right. But for the big breweries, yeah. But isn't that what makes craft beer in a way? You know, and I think that um, you know one thing that you see is that uh, uh, you, you see that sensibility, which kind of comes in a way out of restaurants, or maybe at least you know we we see it in restaurants. Um, you know, and now uh, you know it's starting to spread into beer, and the same way that it's going through the farm to table movement, people knowing their farmers. I I, <clears throat> I agree with a lot of what you're saying, although the the whole quote-unquote cult of personality about knowing who the person is while i think that there's some merit there i think that we need to be careful as an industry because uh, there's a lot of folks myself uh, certainly on this list they're going to be reaching the end of our careers in the next uh, couple of years and so what happens does this whole thing just kind of wilt and, and go away and i think that a lot of the efforts that most of us are making right now are in developing the concepts and the personalities of the brands but i think another interesting take on you know what is good beer uh i think if you look at what the what the macros are trying to do the idea there is to offend the smallest number of people and i think what a, what the craft beer movement a lot of it's been about has been being perfectly willing to have somebody say you know i didn't make this for everybody uh you know this is for people who like belgian styles or really hoppy beers or whatever and be totally okay with the fact that you're not going to make everybody in the world happy and Try not to be all things to all people. That's great. Well, Hugh, it's, it's nice to have you on the show, too. Good to be here. Have you season. You're doing a, you're really pushing the, the Cascale thing, aren't you? Well, Cascale is something that's been near and dear to my heart forever. I was a college student in the 70s who didn't like beer and uh, went to England to study and discovered that I did like beer. I just didn't like the stuff that was being foist upon us in college in the 70s. Uh, and, of course, if you're in England, you're getting exposed to Cascale. And so that's always been near and dear to my heart. And so we've really made it a major focus for what we're doing. I think we're the largest or among the largest producers of cask beer in the country right now. And uh, 
And we're now putting together these machines, these cascaderators, which then uh, make it easier for uh, bar and restaurant owners to get in the cask business and do it, be able to do it right and be able to do it without wasting a lot of beer and be able to do it so that the beer is actually good all the way to the bottom of the cask. So that's, that's important. All right, and we have um, our friends from Pine Box Rock Shop here, Jeff and Heather. Hello, hello. So you guys are doing, you're doing, you're participating in the program with Hugh. So tell us how you got involved in that. You're, you're, you're premiering some of his casks tonight, right? Well, we've been talking for a long time about trying to uh, put a cask together, a cask uh, system together at the bar. And we just kept running into so many different roadblocks and seeing ways it was being done poorly, mostly at other places. And, uh, uh, I don't know if I would say poorly. I just don't think that there was an elegant solution to it. Sure, Because okay. it's such a traditional style that you were trying to marry kind of modern, you know, pres- preservation techniques with, like, a very traditional style of beer. I mean, we saw some very intricate and awesome <laughs> setups as well. It's not to say they were all garbage, but, uh, yeah, it was a long, long A lot journey. of handmade yep. cascaderators that uh, <laughs> did leave a few uh, details out. Um <laughs> Right. And the only thing that we're doing is we're not doing anything that you, you couldn't do yourself. All we did was put it all together in one nice little neat package that goes, here you go, have fun. Uh, so what do I do? Do I just call up Heavy Seas and get Cascarator? Yeah, pretty much. That's oh, pretty yeah. much what yeah. we did, yeah. <laughs> you haven't done that yet, Jimmy? Well, I, I'm about to. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting pressure. This cast mark is going to... But, Gary, what did you just pour for us? Because this is really good. Uh, this is a beer that we made just kind of for ourselves, you know, kind of brewed it one day. It's called Halfling. And it's uh, it's a three point two percent, basically three point two percent pilsner, but it has kind of full hopping, so it's like twenty twenty four twenty five IBUs, but it's three point two percent, and it's actually on a day like today when it's ninety degrees out, it's just, all malt, obviously. It's pretty, ta- it's pretty tasty. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, there's nothing is, is nothing this, wrong with sessionable. Is this your private stash, or do you? It's kind of my private stash. I mean, we we've sold it to a couple of places, but we're basically just serving it at the bar, and uh, every once in a while, I'll just go brew something, and, you know, I tell people upstairs, well, guess what I did? <laughs> um, but going back to cask beer, you know, it's, it's interesting, because I kind of came up the way that, uh, uh, that Hugh did. Um, you know, I moved to London in 1983 and fell in love with beer uh, there, and since then, I've had the opportunity to, you know, judge the Great British Beer Festival many times and, you know, work with a lot of brewers over there. And, you know, there's kind of two sides to cast beer. There's what goes on over there and what went on there in the past, and there's what's happening here. And I think the important thing to understand is that cask beer is really easy to do. It really is. It's very, very simple. I mean, once you – but the thing is that it actually takes some work, uh, and people are unwilling to do the work. It may only take 10 minutes a day. And people don't want to spend the 10 minutes a day. There are many people who think they want to serve cask beer, but they still aren't going to do that small bit of work. And what made cask beer really work in the past was the tie. You know, the, the cellar was an extension of the, of the brew house. The brewer could come into the pub and fire the guy in the cellar because the beer was no good. Once the tie is broken, you know, it becomes harder and harder to do cask because there's nobody accountable. So... You know, I think that there are various ways in the United States, including what you know Hugh is doing, to make cask work here, and it get, and it gets harder to make it work in England too, because you see that uh, trying to find people who are in the pubs who are really going to care, um, it's uh, it's harder to find you know than ever, um, and but you know what you see in, in happening in England is is basically Americanization. Uh, uh, in many ways of, of that culture. So I hope that somebody holds on to cask in a big way there too. 
Well, yeah, but see that you you hit on it. The the key point is that you have to be talking to publicans who care, and I you know it is not our intention to sell these to anybody who picks up the phone and says, "Gee, I want one." I mean, you know, you look into the thing and. You know, you can conveniently drag your feet and find a way to not do it if you don't want to do it. But it's it's more about um, – and, you know, even though we're the quote-unquote largest producers of cask in the country, I think, it's still a minuscule part of what we do. Uh, it's just – it's more a labor of love. We do it because we, we think it's terrifically cool. And so we're, we're looking for retailers who think it's terrifically cool – so that we can, you know, sort of share that uh, camaraderie and then take it to the market that way. So, Heather, have you had to um, do a lot of educating with your cl- both staff well, actually, and clientele? I, I was just going to say that. I mean, we installed the cast this afternoon. Oh. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty new. Uh, I guess beyond- where we're going after the show. Fine box rock shop. Beyond the sort of technical aspects of keeping the beer fresh and keeping everything clean, uh, it's not a style of beer that I think a lot of Americans, and especially younger Americans, would take a chance on. You know, they've maybe been abroad and have said, oh, I've, I've tried warm, flat beer in the U.K., and I don't want that. And I feel that you, you should be able to present it in a way and have your staff educated and your customers educating them in a way like, this isn't warm, flat U.K. beer. This is something live. Uh, it has a different characteristic. Here, why don't you try some? That that sort of uh, make it accessible, you know. Right, because you can really, really taste the beer. I mean, with those smaller bubbles, yeah. you can really all the nuances are right there. Well, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's anybody in this room who is going to, you know, uh, bring off cast beer, you know, uh, you know, in a way that's wrong. I'm just saying that you know people are used to. I think in in retail, they're used to you get the keg, you hook it up, and if everything's clean and well balanced, you know, it runs. And, um, you know, you might go in and do training, but so you guys own, you know, if you own the place that you, that you have, that's one thing, but you know, you can have turnover in a place. Then the guy that you trained, he leaves in three months and he goes to another bar. You know, do you go and do training every couple of months and then multiply that by a whole bunch of accounts? You know, we run maybe about, you know, 20 to 30 casts a week. And we have some accounts that are big accounts that might do seven or eight casks a week. So they actually do run, you know, uh, uh, through it. But even in those places, you know, keeping everybody uh, trained up to a standard where they're going to do that 10 minutes of work and understand it, um, it's just hard because everybody's really, really busy, including the retailer. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. Dave, one quick thing. Um, What has your cast program been at Blind Tiger over the years? Well, I mean, uh, I remember in 96 when um, actually uh, Dave Moore from Brooklyn Brewery installed our system and... uh, and I didn't. I I had never worked with it before, um, so I got the the book, um, the real ale book on Cascale and how to do it and serve it. And, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is a lot of work." And uh, <laughs> and and I and there was and there was a a small New York brewery that was specializing in in uh, cask beer. In, a couple of English guys um, on the east side, and so uh, they were very helpful. Garrett was helpful, and so and now you know we've got Oz has been with us. Um, since the get-go, and he's our sellerman, and he oversees the whole thing and does a really nice job. So, um, and hopefully he'll be with us forever. Uh, so, you know, so it's worked out well. But it, it, and, and we sell an awful lot of it. It's hugely popular. The gravity cask um, is actually we can't even keep that in stock. We're constantly running out of gravity beer, which I love. It's just like the purest of the pure. Um, 
But anyway, it, it's it's worked well for us. Cool. Well, hey, uh, before we take our short break, everyone, we're eating some uh, Roberta's meat plate. There's like two or three different charcuterie here, and we're having a good time. So we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. So you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the Internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. You're listening to I Need Adventure by the Raunch Hands on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We have a great show tonight. We're eating the meat plate at Roberta's in Bushwick, and we've got Jeff and Heather from Pine Box Rock Shop, which is probably the best beer bar out here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And tonight you guys are doing a special tasting with Hugh from Heavy Seas, uh, and you're premiering your cask program. All right. Yes. So uh, let's talk about that. You guys are... uh, Hugh and, and Heather, you guys are just talking about cask beer and, and what it means. Because it, it is a challenge. It's tough. I mean, when I first opened Jimmy's Number 43, we did bring in that similar type of cascarator and and didn't quite work for us. Um, and and then, like Dave was saying earlier, that for when we do cask, I actually prefer to put it on the bar and do a gravity, gravity style and just blow through it. Um, so tell us about what you guys are working on because it's, it's I think the only problem era. that I see with, with, the, with the gravity feed is that it's kind of incumbent that you get rid of the beer in one night. Um, and sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't work. Um, I mean, I you know I kind of plus the fact I personally like the beer pulled through a beer engine, and I happen to be a fan of the sparkler, uh, depending on the style of the beer, only because I think it helps bring out the aromatics. But if the beer it depends on the carbonation level of the beer, but uh, regardless, I think one thing that you know Garrett was talking about, and and I agree that there. There, there's a, a lot of training that needs to take place uh, on, the, on the, the side of the publican or the, or, the, or the bar owner. But one of the things that's definitely occurring is that the consumer is becoming more and more aware of cask beer and much more aware of what's good and not good in the way of cask beer. And I think because of that, they're going to help pull that level of required expertise through the, through the business chain, if you will, so I, I, I just think, you know, this is part of the entire evolution of what's been happening to beer in the United States for the last 30 years. I mean, if you think about how far we have come in such a short period of time, it's really staggering. So, Heather, why did you guys decide to put it in a cask grater at Pine Box Rock Shop? I don't think that you could have, like, a genuine beer bar without a cask. Um, but and also, she got tired of telling me no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were just scared of it. You know, I was scared of uh, throwing away, you know, half a keg of you know really good beer because people are afraid to try it, and I didn't have a way of preserving it properly. 
And uh, I'd been warned by other bar owners that this is, you know, they tried it. They didn't like it. Their customers didn't drink it. And, you know, we're a small business. That means a lot to us. Um, and uh, we met with Alex Hall, and he showed us a couple different ways of doing it. And he was the one who actually told us. Uh, He's about, got a great system yeah, set up he, he, yeah, over at DBA. Over at DBA. They have an amazing cast system. Um, but he, we wanted a plug-and-play system, and he told us, you know, where we could find it. <laughs> One thing that's kind of important about cask that, you know, I think a lot of people don't think about is that, you know, back in the day, and I'm talking about only 20 years ago, um, in most places that served cask beer, there were one or two beers, you know, and, and so, you know, your average pub that was really busy, and if you go back 30 or 40 years, people drank a lot. They drank more than they do now, and so a pub could go through, like, there was never a pub, you know, a, a cask didn't sit around for three days. It never sat around for three days. Like, maybe there's something left at the end of one session, and then it got served out during the lunch session the next day, you know, or the evening session. But that was really it. There wasn't any two- or three-day cask basically anywhere, even you, in a country You could call pub. your friends at midnight and say, let's finish off the cask. So the kind of uh, the proliferation of, you know, uh, uh, of, the cask, uh, of the craft beer movement, um, ironically, is kind of what makes cask beer – more difficult from a commercial point of view because when you go into a place and there are 30 beers well we want 30 beers but this is kind of a new thing and when there are 30 beers then that beer has to compete with everything else and it might take five days to serve it out um you know so i think that we have to you know we have to balance the idea that we that we would like to be able to taste this beer against the american idea of both variety and also of service i mean I have almost never seen cast beer in the United States that looks or tastes very much like cast beer in England, you know, which is absolutely bright. It looks like it's been filtered. If it has even the slightest haze in England, they will give it back to you. And, in fact, you might get a dirty look from whoever you handed it to because it's an insult. Um, cast beer here is usually hazy. And, you know, I used to get all exercised about it. Now I kind of say to myself, okay, well, there's now kind of an American way of doing cask service. Um, you know, and I kind of learned under Mark Dorber at the White Horse, who I know you know well, uh, and, and kind of took that very much to heart. And that's what we use when we judge the Great British Beer Festival. But, you know, we're not there now. We're here. <laughs> so I think that we have uh, – there are always a lot of things to think about. But what's great to see is the pull. People really are interested. They want to know what this thing is. And when it's really at its best, it serves some of the best beer in the world. You know, and I want to bring Hugh in, too, because I remember when we first opened in 2005, six. you know, there was Alex Hall, and he had that great regular publication, the Gotham and Biber, and he talked about places that served Cascale, and people were interested in it, but then it seemed like it just exploded. It suddenly was like every brewery was serving, like, an Imperial IPA. You could have it on draft and on cask in the same night. Right. And I, I think that they lost track of, of what the real English style was. So how are we going to get to that? Like, with American breweries... You know, how are we going to capture uh, what the true English cask cask condition ale is? Is it's that a, possible? It's. I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, uh, you know, Garrett just touched on something which I think is is uh, is really valid. He's talking about the the brightness and the clarity of cask ale over here vis-a-vis cask ale in the UK. Uh, and I, I, you know, one of the things that that adds to that brightness is that they'll typically use some sort of findings in the cask. And almost nobody over here does, but uh, and we don't. And we we elected not to do that for the simple reason that most of the casks that I see served over here are from the sitting on top of the bar, 
And if I put finings in the bottom of that cask, you know, you watch the bartenders tilt the thing out to drain it out. You end up with a really nasty glass or a couple or two. So we, although I would love to be able to throw some findings in there to, to give us really that nice, wonderful brightness, I just don't think it's a matter of practicality. Now, we were saying earlier about sort of the way things are evolving. Maybe five or ten years from now, it'll be a different scene altogether again. Um, I, I just think that what makes it all so exciting is is the evolution and the way things are changing. Now, that doesn't mean that I always agree with it. I, I mean, we're making a lot of relatively high ABV beers. I'm getting personally more and more to the thing. I'm, I'm looking for the, for the three and the four and the five percenters. Uh, because if I want to drink beer, I can drink those, and I can't sit around and pound. Yeah, see, that's perfect. Uh, so, Garrett, what did you I, just, I like that. What did you just pour for us now? Because Hugh has to get his beers out here, too. So. I don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yeah I'm going to buy it, so I'll get it right here. Um, this is uh, our latest Brewmaster Reserve. It's called Scorcher 366. And about eight years ago, we released a beer called Scorcher. You know, and it was kind of a double entendre. It's a beer for a hot day, and it had like full kind of IPA-style bitterness, but it was 4.5%. And brewers loved it, and we loved it, and we could not sell it, you know, <laughs> uh, to save our lives. People said, "Well, how come it's not eight percent?" We're like, "No, dude, get you know, get this. It's four and a half percent, but it has like all the hop character of an IPA." Yeah, but how come it's not eight <laughs> percent? And, 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 and we simply couldn't sell it. Well, now we see, you know, obviously the real interest in something we've always been interested in, which is sessionability. And I wanted to bring Scorcher back, you know, and this time it's based on a hop variety called 366, um, which will eventually have a name. It's not commercially available. It's uh, grown by uh, uh, um, uh, by a couple some friends of ours, Jason Perot and Patrick Smith, you know, out in Yakima, Washington. We developed it together with Gene Probasco, and we wanted to tell the story of how you bring a hop to market, how you breed a hop. And so this is a hop that no one's tasted before, you know, featured in a beer. Um, and, and this beer is 4.5%, and it's got about 50 IBUs, 52 IBUs, and it uh, it's, again, on a day like today, I think it's kind of tasty. Yeah, I think it carries carries the hopping really well. Dave, this is kind of fun. It's July Good Beer Month. We're sitting here with Garrett Hover and Hugh Sisson. Two great brewers, and uh, you know we're talking about as beer is evolving. You know we've got this really great hoppy pale ale. We're talking about casks. You want to say anything about what well, good beer means I, to you? And well, and, 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 and just stuff. to, to um, carry on what Garrett was saying, it's and and also what Hugh was saying. Uh, and in your question about you know can we ever bring the true uh, English cask experience here? Well, it's, it's interesting that we're heading towards session beers, which is very much an English way of drinking. Um, but I think with cask. I always think it's kind of dangerous to try to um, bring Europe here. I think we always have to kind of figure out our own way of doing things. Um, with the hazy quality of the beer, I mean, Americans drink a lot of unfiltered beer now, you know, which uh, uh, it doesn't have to be perfectly clear. here. I'm not talking about cask. I'm talking about draft beer. Um, so, And I think that's okay, and I don't think we need to really recreate sort of the English cask experience here. We can serve our double IPAs on cask, which... Um, a lot of us do, and and uh, that's what people are looking for. But obviously, we're also making a lot of session beers now, which are probably going to go on cask and are going on cask. So it'll be it'll always sort of be our way, and I think that's the way it should be. I totally agree. I I don't necessarily think that we need to try and uh, 
copy. I mean, I prefer, and this might be unpo- unpopular, but I prefer American IPAs. And uh, of American IPAs, I prefer West Coast IPAs. So that's almost a different style now entirely. So I don't think we necessarily need to copy or strive for something that, you know, we're a different environment. We're a different uh, cultural history. You know, we can we can have our own take on cast beer that can reach a same level of professionalism. Yeah. Heather, let's jump in on this. So you, you guys have a great little Good Beer Seal bar in Bushwick. And it's, it's one of my favorite bars out here. And you got this great guy, Hugh, from Heavy Seas coming <laughs> to the place tonight. So how, how do you guys feel about the, the whole beer community? And, and, and are you really proud? You must be proud to have him here tonight. Yeah, this so is a real treat. Very yeah, very, it's very exciting. I mean, you got a, a, a big brewer coming to your small bar in Bushwick. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to say. That's what I love about the Good Beer Seal thing is that there are these little bars that are like, to me, they're tasting rooms for the breweries. And um, it goes back to what Garrett said about that, that tie thing. Where imagine if you know your breweries did come and check on you. And I feel like that's what happens to me. I feel like that we get really great uh, distributors and, and brewery reps coming in and checking on, on on things all the time. And I think that's why we have this thing called the Good Brazil, and we really care about because we have this connection with with the breweries and. Um, I don't know. I'm going to raise my glass because you know what it is. It's July Good Beer Month, and guys like Garrett and Hugh paved the way, and you guys, uh, you know, Heather and Jeff, you guys are keeping it going. Cheers. So, Cheers. Uh, let's take a Cheers. short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This one's called Pay the Devil is Due by the Ranch Hands on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more Beer Sessions Radio. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in Bushwick. We're hanging out eating the meat plate, which is one of our favorite beer and food pairings. Dave Roderick, Blind Tiger, the guys from Pine Box Rock Shop, Hugh from Heavy Seas, and Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery. He's going to read the proclamation from Mayor Bloomberg that this is the fifth annual July Good Beer Month in New York City. Garrett, take it away. Office of the Mayor, City of New York, Proclamation. July is Good Beer Month in New York City, and at barbecues and picnics and pubs and groggeries across the five boroughs, our city's residents and visitors are getting into the spirit and beating the summer heat with cold beers. Even more refreshing is the fact that some of the best-tasting brews we have in the fridge and on tap are made right here in New York, as our city's craft beer scene continues to thrive. Whereas, like any top-quality product, a good beer is the result of dedication of many people, some of them in this room. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Growing New York's collegial, knowledgeable, independent beer community has required the passion and expertise of farmers, brewers, distributors, importers, and devoted patrons alike. The community also has focused on keeping its industry sustainable and environmentally conscious. Brewers have formed partnerships with both city farms and local artisans and foster the kind of conversations that keep their taverns and tasting rooms great places to share big ideas about what's next in craft brewing. Here, here. Whereas, if a New York City bar boasts a good beer seal on its door, then you can expect to count on your beer being served as its brewer intended. 
You can also expect the bar to be a positive experience in the neighborhood. Long after last call and throughout the day before the next happy hour begins, more of our city's bars and breweries are committing themselves to good beer and good stewardship. All this month, we raise a glass to these dedicated professionals and thank them for sponsoring the cookouts, tastings, food pairings, and podcasts that are introducing New York's beers and small businesses to even more fans. Now, therefore, I, Michael R. Bloomberg, mayor of the city of New York, in recognition of this exciting annual tradition, do hereby proclaim July 2013 in the city of New York as Good Beer Month. Cheers to Mayor Bloomberg. Aren't you glad beer doesn't have trans fats? Yeah. Welcome to Game of Kettles. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say that they've... Their proclamations evolved over the last five years. It's actually much more subtle, it, and I think it that gets better every year. For I have sure. a feeling half of what he was talking about was Garrett Oliver. He was talking about yeah. buying, you know, he was just hoping Garrett local would read ingredients, it. and yeah. So I think we're going to reloop that one. That'll be something we play a few times. But hey, Garrett Oliver just read the uh, proclamation from the mayor. I, actually, you know what? Cheers to you, Garrett. That was pretty awesome. But you know, you're a big part of it, and I, I, I'm, I, everyone in this room, it's really cool. You know, Dave, a long-time guy, Heather and Jeff, Pine Box, and new guys. It, it, it's, 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 it's come a long way. Even when I opened in 2005, it was like, you know, wow, we, we just discovered, you know, local craft beer. I have to tell you a very quick story. You know, I started brewing at a place called Manhattan Brewing Company in 1989. Uh, and one of the people we produced cast beer for was a guy named Dave Wickett. Uh, Dave Wickett opened uh, uh, the Old Toad in Rochester, New York. I believe it was 1984, one of the earlier cast uh, uh, places serving cast beer in the United States uh, uh, in those days. And so, several years back, I had the honor of giving a proclamation uh, of friendship from uh, you know from Brooklyn, the borough president of Brooklyn, to the Lord Mayor of Sheffield. Uh, proclaiming uh, Sheffield a sister city and the you know brotherly love between New York brewers and and Sheffield brewers, uh, etc. And uh, reading that proclamation kind of brings that back to me and brings the whole you know some of those memories back around. That's cool. All right, and Hugh, you just poured us one of your beers from Heavy Seas. Which right. one's this? This is our our Cutlass Amber. It's a year round. Uh, it's a Merton style. Uh, this one has won uh, five different GABF medals. We actually just renamed it this year uh, because I got sick and tired of trying to explain uh, to everybody in the world what a Meritzen was. Uh, and if they realized that it was a Meritzen, why it was still okay to have it since we make it year-round in the month of May. But uh, it's just a nice, clean, crisp amber lager. It's about 5'2", so it's not totally sessionable, but it's still pretty damn poundable. So uh, it's great. I like it. So let's ask a couple heavy seas. So, what's your number one beer by volume? Number one beer by volume is our uh, just over seven percent uh, IPA, the Loose Cannon. Loose Cannon, rock on! Yes. Okay, and what's your number one beer for cask? Uh, loose Cannon. Loose Cannon as well. It, it, absolutely. I mean, it's it that just goes straight through. Uh, the other one that we're pushing a lot on cask is another one that I brought for us to try, which is our uh, Powder Monkey Pale Ale. Uh, which is more of an English-style pale Let's ale. Let's pop that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Got All right. it. Uh, no, I didn't bring that one. And Garrett, jumping over to Sweden, because this is the, this, to me, Sorry, this is the big news. didn't bring it. Where you, you guys have, have grown so much. Brooklyn Brewery, your, your, your top export market is what? Sweden, right? Uh, uh, Sweden is actually our top export market. You know, uh, people, people kind of uh, are surprised to hear that. It's actually uh, the number two market outside of New York City itself. Um, so, you know, we've... Uh, so what are, the, what are the top 
beers by volume that they drink in Sweden from Brooklyn. Oh, I mean, Brooklyn Lager is our top-selling beer pretty much ev- almost everywhere, um, uh, including you know here in New York City. Even in New York, uh, uh, Brooklyn Lager grew 20% last year. Um, awesome. And given that this is the 25th year, you know that we've been producing it. I think that's uh, you know speaks a lot, you know, to what's going on, you know, in uh, uh, you know in the beer market and in craft beer just generally, um, you know. But we've had, I mean, a triple digit growth of IPA and, and things like that. We're bringing our blast, which is our big IPA, out in bottles uh, uh, later this year. Um, you know, so there's a lot going on. But what we're going to do in Sweden is, uh, you know, we have a beautiful location on the harbor. Um, we're going to have a restaurant. We'll have a 50-barrel brewery. And uh, we're going to be producing both draft and bottle beer uh, and casks and, and barreled things and, and whatever else. And we're going to develop beers that are just for Sweden. Uh, we're not going to be brewing Brooklyn Lager, for example, in Sweden. We're going to be brewing, you know, beers that are, that are for there. Um, so, you know, we have a, a great brewing team that we're going to be working with, and they're going to be coming over here and working with us, and you'll get a chance to meet them. I wanna, I'd want to. i love to bring right. the entire Swedish team on the show sometime. How about uh, do, you, uh, do you think that um, you're, that sounds like a you're influencing? Yeah, totally. <laughs> do, you, do you guys think that you're influencing um, the European market by, by going there and, and, uh, and being successful? Um, ha, have you found that you've been sort of changing uh, the European beer scene at all? I think that certainly, uh, no matter where you go in the world, you know the American idea of beer is what is ascendant. I don't care whether it's in China, uh, where I've been recently, and I'll be back there again next month, uh, or it's in Japan, or it's in Brazil. Um, you know, and what I find interesting about that is that you know, especially the IPA style being the flagship, if you like, of the American craft beer movement, it's the American idea of IPA. You know, which has become that flagship, even in England. So, you know, you think about it, you know, you have a brew dog, for example, is, you know, we brew a British style, we make it American, they taste our version, and then sell it back to us. <laughs> it's kind of you know, convoluted. Which, you know, which is, uh, so like, you know, which, which I think is fascinating. I mean, it's one of the things that that's great about what makes this thing interesting. You know, one of these days, just for fun, I'm going to brew Edinburgh IPA, and I'm going to sell it in Scotland. <laughs> World domination. How do you how do you say how do you say Brooklyn in Swedish? <laughs> well, Same way? most people just say you know most Swedes speak better English than Americans. <laughs> it's uh it's it's kind of scary if they've spent even like a two weeks here they have like no accent. It's uh, uh it's really something. But I mean it's uh I think that the American you know the American openness you know to things is what's driving uh, you know the worldwide renaissance of beer. And we base what we do on the stuff that we learned from Europe. And it wasn't always a two-way street. And now it is a two-way street. You know, we, we look up to them in some ways, and they look up to, you know, to the United States in other ways. And I think that's what makes things twice as exciting as they were before. Because before, you know, we went there as supplicants in a way, and it was kind of boring that's in a way. completely changed. That's yeah. completely changed. Yeah. Hugh, have you traveled much in Europe, and have you been selling beer in Europe? I, I do not sell beer in Europe. Uh, I have been in the unenviable position that I haven't had enough beer to sell here, so why would I try to go over there and piss off all my customers here? And I pissed them off well enough in the last year and a half <laughs> all by myself, thank you very much. So, uh, No, we haven't done that. I've, I have traveled pretty extensively 
uh, through lots of parts of Europe. I'm also a pretty serious wine buff as well, so uh, I I like to travel. Then you have a show on uh, public radio in Maryland. Right. I've, I've been doing a show for 24 years called Cellar Notes on uh, the Maryland NPR stations. It's a little... You know, five-minute um, review that's uh, mostly on, on wine and spirits, but occasionally we do some beers. And I don't do more beers only because I've got investors who would get uh, a, a little inflamed if I started saying wonderful things about all the competitors' products. So I get to drink them in closed doors uh, away from the public eye. <laughs> and I know you started as a theater person. Mm-hmm. And then, what, your dad took over a tavern? Well, yeah, I, I, I started out as a, this is a Saison, by the way. It's called Red Sky at Night. Um, That's a nice beer, too. We're going to be making beer cocktails with that later. Right. Uh, we're going to be making some beer cocktails. So with the that Heavy Sea is the Red Sky Saison. It's a nice beer. Thank you. We just brought that one out uh, in, in the last week or two. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, was, a, I was a theater student, both uh, undergraduate and grad school. Never, never intended to be in business. Um, my dad, about five months before I finished grad school, uh, called me up and said, okay, actor boy, what are you going to do next? And uh, I said, well, I'm going to go to New York, and what are you going to do in New York? I'm going to wait tables in 10 bar like every other bartender, excuse me, every other actor in New York. So he talked me into coming back to Baltimore to, to help out with the then brand new bar that he had opened, and I think he had an ulterior motive. Uh, I think he wanted to get me into business in some form or another. So I, I walked in the door. I think I'd been in the bar all of about three minutes. Uh, he turned around and said, hey, how you doing? Reached in his pocket, threw me the keys to the front door, and as I caught the keys, he turned to me and said, okay, don't screw up. Slap me on the back and walk <laughs> out the damn door. So uh, that's how I got in the bar business, and then we turned that into a beer bar, and then we became the first brew pub in Maryland. Uh, and then I graduated from that to a little larger But platform. then you also, you love doing the radio show. I like doing the radio show. I like doing the... Uh, I, I mean, I, I actually like that I've got a, a really strong interest in wine because I think it's kept me fresh for the beer side. I know you have a strong interest in wine, uh, and I, I'm sure your experiences are similar to mine. You know, when, I, when I'm not working, I'm not generally drinking beer. Uh, I mean, that's not entirely true, but and I know a lot of winemakers, and guess what they're not drinking when they're not working? Most of them are all drinking beer. So I think it's how we all stay fresh in the game. And certainly, we found the you know the cocktail people to be uh, you know part of an inspiration because they're constantly inventing new things. You know, a guy who is you know who's a mixologist might try fifteen or twenty things in an afternoon, which we don't really get a chance to do. So they're constantly working to refine ideas of flavor combinations. Uh, we just brewed a beer with a guy named uh, Lior uh, Lev Serkers. There was a big article on him in the New York Times recently called uh, "The Transformational Power of the Right Spice," and he provides. Spices for every four-star chef in New York City. Um, you know, many of them exclusively. They're the only spices these people use. That's and cool. he's a, and he's a genius. I mean, when you smell his stuff, you're just taken away somewhere else, <laughs> and it's it's just totally different <laughs> than anything you've had before. So, um, I as soon as I knew that this article was coming out because one of my best friends was writing it, and so I met him before that happened, and we hatched plans. You know, for this beer that we're doing called uh, Cuvée Le Boite, and Le Boite's the name of his shop. Um, and all these ideas, whether it's spice blenders or cocktail people or wine people, we make some nice beers, which you've had with the Red Hook Winery guys yes. using their indigenous yeasts. Um, you know, I think all of this informs, you know, uh, uh, what, we, what we do. And, uh, you know, I always tell people, you know, uh, if you really want to get into 
the next level of things. I always uh, encourage people who are working in beer, you know, to uh, get into you know get into wine, learn wine too, because uh, there's there's a lot there, and it gets your you know gets your brain moving in a different direction. Yeah, I think that's good. All right, and uh, Heather, you, I think I you want to say. I was going to ask things. you guys: Do you see yourselves moving like Rogue and and uh, Anchor and Dogfish did, and, and expanding into a liquor line, doing spirits? Uh, uh, no, you know, I have so many friends who are distillers now doing great work and, uh, you know, that I can go and do some fun things with them and mixologists and whatever else. And I kind of feel like, you know, uh, um, I exercise my geekery by making cocktails with my friends. But, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to try my hand, uh, you know, at, at spirits. It, it does fascinate me. But, uh, you know, I barely have enough time to make all the beer I want to make. I, I'm with you. And I, <clears throat> I'm not going to do it. Uh, the whiskeys that I like <clears throat> take far longer to make than I would ever want to invest in it. So I'd rather just buy somebody else's. They're doing a good job. I think in the great whiskey regions, they just pump out cheap beer to turn it into whiskey anyway. So <laughs> I think it's a compliment to your brewing if you're making whiskey out of it, right? Yep. Dave, anything you want to say? Because uh, you're doing so many cool things in New York. I'll never start a brewery. There's like way too much good beer out there. We don't need any more breweries, I think. <laughs> <laughs> At least not by me. <clears throat> I hear you, man. We're no, disappointed to the thousands that are open. But maybe a cidery. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. That's beginning. That's hot. Meadery, you know what's tough about this meadery. show? This is, it's only 45 minutes, and, and we're going to have to wrap up. So I was trying to give the wrap. But, Dave, tell us one good thing going on in your life, please. Um, well, we, uh, we've started a new restaurant up in Vermont called Worthy Kitchen. Uh, it should open the first week of August. Um, and, and the entire uh, staff of Blind Tiger has moved yeah, to Vermont. Oh, yeah, a couple of people have moved up there, yeah. and uh, we're not taking any more. Um, but uh, we're really looking forward to it. It's uh, basically working with all our friends that are farming up there and giving them an outlet uh, for all their You're stuff. You're doing great stuff, and we love you. Jeff from Pine Box Rock Shop, what's going on tonight in Bushwick, Brooklyn? We've got a hell of a night planned tonight. Uh, we're lucky enough to have Hugh up here from Baltimore, uh, which is just incredible. We've got, uh, we've got some bands playing tonight. We've got a DJ. We've got a host. We're really tricking the night out. Of course, we're debuting our cask. It's the... The first time in two and a half, three years that you can come into Pine Box and buy a so pint what, that comes wh- out of a cast. Which Heavy Seas beer do you have on cast tonight? Loose Cannon. Nice. And Garrett, anything else? Be- beyond Sweden. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I- I'm going to be, you know, I haven't been in China. Well, I was in Hong Kong a few months ago, but I'm going to Shanghai, you know, and uh, and Japan. We'll do, do some bre- some brewing with our friends in uh, uh, at Hitachino in, I- in Ibaraki. Uh, next month, also friends of yours, I know. Very nice. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be Toshi kind of a crazy. It's, it's, it's a crazy year. It's a crazy year. All it's right. going to be good. And Hugh, um, very basic. We're in a lot of expansion stuff going on right now, so I'm just trying to stay focused, 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 so I don't screw it up. And you like your cascaraders? I do like my cascaraders. So what do, what do we do? We just call you up and say, "I want a cascarader." We can make that happen. All right. Very cool. And Jennifer from Pine Box Rock Shop. That's <laughs> all right, Heather. Heather. <laughs> um, I just really wanted I, to cr- uh, go ahead. Uh, to your point earlier. I would like to thank uh, Brooklyn. Uh, you guys, we did uh, Brooklyn Immersion. It was a wonderful experience for us. And uh, the Heavy Seas Night. I'm really super excited and about how many like small local breweries we've gotten to work with. Just being one, you know, little bar out here in Bushwick. It's it's been an honor, and I hope we can continue to do it. You're awesome. And I had Jennifer on my brain because our good friend Jen Schwartman is driving cross country. Her her truck's broken down. 
She's going to end up working for what? The Port she's of Pizza? She's somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Somebody, she's going to end up in San Diego <laughs> running some cool beer she's bar. probably bartending out in the middle of nowhere yeah. somewhere right now. And she's, I think she just set up a bar in, in the desert, you know? But that's, that's what's been on my brain. And Jen Swartman, cheers to you, baby. We love you. I know you're still driving across country. You broke down somewhere. You know what happens? Garrett, Speaking of the desert, Brooklyn Bowl opening in Vegas. For real? Yes. Are you wow. going out, are you 70, going out to that? Seventy five thousand square feet, three times the size of the Brooklyn one. But Jen Swerman, she's like she drove cross country and she broke down, of course, in one of those she middle of nowhere down towns, in Vegas. Yeah, that kind of sounds a lot better. Exactly. <laughs> but that's about it. So hey, and uh, a couple of things coming up: July seventeenth, Runner and Stone. It's a great brewery in Brooklyn. I mean, sorry, uh, bakery. They'll be joined by Peak Organic Brewery to host a summer celebratory beer tasting dinner. All right. And Grow NYC and Brooklyn Brewery have teamed up and produced the most local beer yet, Green Market Wheat, a collaborative effort of local farmers, malsters, and brewers. It's a true taste of New York in a bottle, and it's exactly what Mayor Bloomberg was talking about when he gave us the fifth annual proclamation that July is Good Beer Month. Check out everything on goodbrewstill.com. There's some fests coming up this month, and we will be at a WNYC. The green space for the fifth, the third year, will be doing a craft beer jam the next couple couple weekends, and um, you should check that out. So, hey, I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrews.com have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Beer Sessions Radio is supported by the Good Beer Seal. All right, and thanks to our special guests. We've got in the room Dave, uh, Jeff, Garrett, Hugh, and Heather, all here on uh, Heritage Radio Network, and Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor, engineer Joe Galarraga, interns and specials. We've got Eddie, Maggie, and uh, Justin. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>